half of me is American, and the other half of me is Canadian. Uh, the Canadian half was factory installed, and the American half was aftermarket. The State of the Union Address is something that most Americans have some familiarity with. The basis for the State of the Union Address is the U.S. Constitution when it says, the President shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient, end of quote. Well, I'll state the obvious here at the beginning of 2019. I am not the president, and you are not the Congress. You are God's precious people, the incredible body of Christ. And this state of the church message is not an address. It's a sermon which is based on God's powerful and holy and authoritative word, the Bible. And so what I want to preach with you this morning is not merely what I judge to be necessary and expedient for our church. No, what I want to preach in these moments together is what Scripture judges to be necessary and righteous for Calvary Bible Church at this juncture in our history. Come March the 1st, if God spares my life, I will have very gratefully served with and among you as your pastor for four years. The time has gone by very fast because we love you. We love the work. <laughs> very kind, very kind. We love you. We love uh, the work that God together has called us to do. Um, we are just so grateful as Elliot's, grateful and blessed. And you all have been so gracious to us, and you continue to be so kind and so respectful and so generous and so loving. And we truly appreciate that. We thank our Lord for each one of you. We love each one of you. We need each one of you. And we only want Christ's best for each and every one of you. When a person from away asks us what it's like to live in the Bahamas, our answer is always the same. It's beautiful, but the people are better. That's really how we feel. And in these four years together, pastor, pastor's family, and church body, we have learned about each other. Uh, imperfect pastor and family and imperfect church. Uh, pastor and family with warts and in need of growth to be more like Jesus. And a local church assembly also with some warts that needs to grow to be more like Christ. And so certainly and happily, we are in this thing together. And all of us uh, are not yet safe home to heaven. And so therefore, with each other, we together strive and press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God for us in Christ Jesus. And so in 2019, let us each one continue to encourage and to love each other, and to keep right on praying for each other, right in the middle of all of us growing to be more like Jesus Christ. It's really a God's grace thing that when each of us will do these things, then our entire beloved church as a whole will grow to be more like Christ. You see, as all the pieces go, 
so goes the whole church. And to be even more specific, as I go and as the other pastors go and as the deacons go, so goes the whole of Calvary Bible Church. Uh, God has made it that way. Uh, in Scripture, we see both in the Old and the New Testament that as the spiritual leaders of Israel went or as the spiritual leaders of the church go, so goes Israel historically or so goes the church now. And so as I've been praying about what the Lord would have me to share this first Lord's Day of 2019, uh, it seems right to me in the eyes of God uh, to preach two messages on the state of our church, the state of the church, uh, two sermons, one today, and if God spares my life, then the next, this coming Lord's Day. And both of these sermons on the state of the church are needed by all of us, uh, whether we're in the pulpit or whether we're on the platform or whether we're in the pews, or whether we're in the parking lot. These two messages are needed whether we're on the periphery, maybe because of being homebound as a person who is ill or who is uh, aged, or on the periphery because of gone AWOL, absent without leave, uh, characteristically or typically absent from worship services as a body because of no good or legitimate reason. These sermons are for all of us. Um, in Canada, in a small rural community, I pastored, and there was a Presbyterian church. And the Presbyterian minister was a good friend of mine, and he wore a clerical collar uh, where he went in the day. And he told me that one, one occasion, shortly after he arrived to be the minister of the Presbyterian church, he was in the food store. And a lady came up to him and looked at him Scants and said, are you the new minister at the Presbyterian Church? And he said, yes, ma'am, I'm Barney Grace, and I'm pleased to meet you. Well, I'm a member there. He said, well, where do you sit? Because I've been here enough weeks, I don't think I've seen you. She said, oh, my aunt attends for me. <laughs> then, if that's not enough, Later on, I don't know how many days or weeks later, he's in the same food store wearing his collar, and another lady comes up to him and says, are you the new minister at the Presbyterian Church? He said, yes, Barney Grace, pleased to meet you. She says, um, well, I'm a member of the church. The same thing, well, where do you sit? I don't think I've seen you at the church. And she says, well, I was offended in the church. I don't come anymore. And he was quick. He said, boy, am I ever glad you weren't offended in a food store. <laughs> You know, if I had 50 cents for every person I meet in Nassau over four years that calls Calvary Bible Church their church, that's my church, but they never come. They never show up. If I had 50 cents <laughs> for every person like that, I could probably go to Spanish Wells. <laughs> come to think of it, maybe it's exaggeration, but I had 50 cents for every person in that category. Maybe I'd go to Spain, not Spanish Wells. Let's ask the Lord's help again. Uh, Lord, um, we thank you that you are the God of loving care of us. And sometimes you put your arm around us and whisper in our ear and encourage. And there are other times when in love you are a bit like Buckley's mixture. Uh, it's hard to swallow, but you have for us, but we are better off if we will. Sometimes, Lord, you do divine surgery as a master surgeon. 
Lord, sometimes when we are on the operating table yet still awake, we want to strap on a satellite dish on our heads so that we can bounce your truth off to other people. Lord, help us not to do that in these minutes. I pray for myself first that you chip off of me everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would pray that you would chip off everything on each of them that doesn't look like Jesus. Lord, please make us the church that you've created us to be. And we'll be careful to give you the thanks and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, there were seven ancient churches, and only two of them lived happily ever after. These churches sprang up not too many years after Christ's crucifixion, after his resurrection, after his ascension. In fact, about 90 years, within 90 years of those things, these seven churches had sprouted up. And they had some issues. Uh, Even as young churches, they had some issues. And these were issues that Jesus addressed in Scripture about as directly as the bank does a customer who misses three mortgage payments. Jesus was very interested in talking with them and ministering to them and correcting them. And the risen Christ gave seven state-of-the-church addresses. I'm giving one in two parts. But Jesus gave seven state-of-the-church addresses out of his love and concern. And in the initial process of anything departing, initially when these seven churches were tight to the will of God as expressed by the Son of God and the fledging Word of God of the New Testament, as they veered off at first, the, the variance was small. But by 90 years, the variance from the plumb line of of uh, truth had gotten much bigger. And I wish I could tell you that 2,000 years later, the Church of Jesus Christ is bringing, coming back en masse to what he's told us we ought to be. But I think, honestly, if we face the state of the evangelical church in this country, but also in the world, that our departure from the plumb line of Scripture has gotten quite, quite more serious than it initially was even in the first century. So I want to look at only three of the seven churches with you quickly this morning. God willing, we'll look at the other four uh, next Sunday. The first church that we need to look at is in Revelation chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 7. And it's the church at Ephesus. There was an ancient city in the Mediterranean basin named Ephesus that was very uh, real. And there was a group of believers in Jesus Christ, followers of the way, it says in the book of Acts, who had started and become a church in Ephesus. And the risen Christ said this to that church, Revelation 2.1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves prophet, apostles, excuse me, and they, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent so that You do the deeds that you did at the first. 
or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I just wonder if their problem, to some measure, is our problem. I just wonder if their problem of having a good start loving Jesus had somehow denigrated to them loving Jesus, but not as their first love. I just wonder if that might be, in some quarters in our assembly, the same problem. Of course, the glorified Jesus Christ after resurrection was not okay with them two-timing him, and he still isn't. And so when any church doesn't love Jesus first, there is an ache in the eyes and in the heart of heaven. I wonder if I could share with you what not having Jesus Christ as first love might look like in an assembly, a church. It would look like having wrong priorities. And they're as simple to define as this. Wrong priorities on the list of a church or the list of believers who make up a church are the things where Jesus Christ is not at the top of the list. That's the only place he deserves. And so when we relegate him to any other place on our list as a church or on our individual Christian lives, if Jesus is in the top of the lists, then we have stopped loving him as our first love. Another way that we can fail to love Jesus as first love is to go silent with respect to the Savior as we move, as we mingle, as we transact, as we work our jobs. To go silent about Jesus because maybe we're embarrassed or we're fearful of how the message will be received or we're in a hurry or we have somehow damaged a relationship with another person to the point that we don't feel comfortable talking to that person about Christ and the way of salvation. Dr. Richard Sumi was the chaplain at Dallas Theological Seminary when Beth and I were students. He tells a story of having a high prominent world-traveled evangelical preacher at his church in Houston to give a special series of, of preaching series of messages. And Dr. Sumi and this uh, guest preacher went out for dinner before one of the uh, worship times. And they were at the table, and the waitress accidentally spilled some ice water on the guest speaker. And he overreacted, and he got angry with her, and he said things like, you shouldn't be so careless, and if you're a waitress, you would never do something if you were careful. And so the waitress was dressed down and embarrassed, and she went away to find some towels for this preacher who was raking her over the coals. And while she was gone getting towels for this man, Dr. Sumi turned to the guest preacher and said, Doc, I dare you to tell her about Jesus Christ when she gets back with the towels. One of the reasons we go silent about Jesus is we have been careless and hurtful in our relationships with other people who need him. That needs to be made right this year if that's your case. Another way that we can leave Christ as our first love is to neglect his word. Not to be in his word each day for ourselves, but to let it slide. That is not loving him as first love. Of course, another catch-all 
description of a person or a church who has lost the first love of Jesus is idols. Idols come in many shapes and forms. Some are visible and some are invisible. But an idol basically is anything or anyone that we love more than Christ or we trust more than Christ. There are all kinds of idols. They can creep into my life and lots of idols, I'm sure, that can creep into your lives. We must pull the weeds of the garden of our hearts and minds when idols uh, sprout. Let me be more specific about what leaving Christ as first love can look like. Let me start to say, I don't live with you. I I don't perfectly know you. No one perfectly knows you except the Lord. But it seems to me, when I have my ear to the track, that some of us seem content about not sharing Christ. One of the main reasons that the pastoral leadership of the church went to two services, an 8 a.m. service and an 11 a.m. service, was so that we'd have more open seats in the pews to bring people that we invite to church and invite to know Jesus. In large measure, that hasn't happened. But we can turn that around. Tomorrow's a new day. We can start sharing our faith, cooperating with the Holy Spirit. The first way to become a better evangelist is to pray for the lost people you know and love by name, to pray for them. It was Vance Havner, the old-time preacher, who lamented the loss of personal evangelism in the church at large by stating, nowadays... The church gives the prodigal in the faraway country soup and a sandwich and not the Savior. And so continuing on in our current situation, we also have the great need, men, brothers, of more men stepping up. Stepping up in various ministries of our church. I would venture to say that almost every ministry of our church, which is many ministries, Almost every ministry of our church, except the ones, of course, that are for women, need men to step up, to be willing to serve Jesus. Because as the men go, so goes our church. I know that Israel is not the same as the church, and the church is not the same as Israel, but when you look back at the book of Judges, the only judge mentioned in the Old Testament who was female was Deborah. And Lord made the point in the book of Judges, the reason Deborah became a judge in Israel was because the men weren't willing. Barak, in particular, lacked the courage needed at that time in Israel's history to lead. And the book has the saddest of epitaphs. The last verse of the book of Judges is, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We need the men to step up. On Saturday mornings, there's an equipping time for men, uh, the men's fraternity at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning just across the parking lot. Love to have you. We have 20 to 25 men. We're pleased about that. We'd love more. It's not too late to start. We're learning how to be men, learning how to be godly men, learning how to be godly men who serve Christ in a church. There's something else that I, you know, I just have to download in love. Our Sunday school program and our cross-trainers kids program and our youth group, there's a curious uh, blending in those ministries. 
between the unchurched and our church. We love the unchurched. So does Jesus. So don't get me wrong. But there's something curiously wrong that in Sunday school and in cross trainers and in youth group, maybe not Sunday school, but in cross trainers and youth group, 80% of the children are from outside of our church family and 20 from the church family. If this is your church, these are your children's ministries designed to help you as Christian parents see Christ formed in your kids. So please don't get me wrong. We warmly welcome the children who are outside of this fellowship. But there should be more kids from within in these programs. Could it be that the historic problem of the church at Ephesus is the current problem, to some degree, to the church at 62 Collins Avenue? The cure for this no longer loving Christ's first love is simple. It's six words, scripture, for me to live as Christ. For me to live as Christ. If each of us would say that and mean it and live it, we'd be fine. The second church that I'd like to bring to your attention is Smyrna. Smyrna is in chapter 2 of Revelation, verses 8 to 11, a relatively short number of verses because this church was the church that Jesus Christ found no fault with. And to the angel of a church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and who has come to life says this, I know that your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. As I said, very interestingly, this is the only church, only one of two churches, rather, in the collection of seven where the risen Christ finds no fault. And so logically, it would mean that if Christ found no fault with the church at Smyrna, then we should have some things to copy about the church at Smyrna. And what would those things be? Well, right from the verses I've read that Jesus spoke, three things. Smyrna was commended and not criticized because of three things. Calvary Bible Church ought to copy these three things. Ready? Number one, they were a church prepared to suffer persecution. I don't know if a persecution's coming to the Bahamas, but it kind of surprised me if it didn't. They were a church prepared to suffer persecution. Two, they were content in material poverty. They were content in material poverty. And third, they were a church focused on their salvation blessings, not their persecution sufferings on the horizon. Maybe this church's favorite hymn was, I'd rather have Jesus. Could it be that their commendation from Christ can be our commendation from Christ? I, with you, I pray and I hope so. And a very important step in that direction is one six-word model that I've shared with you already. For me to live is Christ. 
if that moniker is put over every day, we'll be all right for me to live as Christ. The third and the last church for our consideration this morning is Pergamum. Pergamum is in Revelation 2, 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there, there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. That's where spiritual leaders prostitute themselves to say what the people want to have said to them. Who kept teaching Balak, that's the one without the courage in the book of Judges, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Thus, you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. That's a second reference to the Nicolaitans. That was a cult in the first century that worshipped through sexual perversions. Repent, therefore, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. The problem in ancient Pergamum was they made light of what God said was heavy. Could it be that in some measure, in some quarters, in some percentage, that our problem is the same? That some of us are making light what God says in his word is heavy? Back then, historically, the church at Pergamum made light of what God said is heavy right from the text I've read in a few ways. They lived like the scriptures were powerless. They lived like Satan was harmless. They lived like doctrine was negotiable. They lived like time was unlimited. And they lived like everybody's okay. And they lived like sin is normal or was normal. And so to sum up back then how they made light of what God said was heavy. Now, I know that many of us don't do that that we have a proper understanding of the weight and seriousness of sin as we ought. But to the degree that any of us have made sin light, we need to be corrected by these scriptures. So what is one way that we might evidence that we are making heavy things light? I would say prayerlessness, not praying. Believing somehow that Jesus can do within our church excuse me, that we can do in our church without Jesus. Not believing that apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. I wonder what would happen, God forbid, if tomorrow morning God decided to withdraw the Holy Spirit from each of our lives and from our church. I wonder what would happen if tomorrow morning, God forbid, if we stopped praying on a dime, privately and corporately. I wonder what ministries in our church would continue if we no longer had the Holy Spirit and if we no longer prayed. 
God help us if the answer to that question is everything would stop. God help us if we would say, well, that would continue, and I think that would go on without the Holy Spirit and without prayer. Seems to me, and again, I'm not the judge. I don't know you. You don't know me. But it seems to me, with my ear to the track, that some of us lack spiritual desperation. We don't pray as we should because we're not desperate enough. We're not desperate for God like the woman with the issue of blood was desperate in the New Testament. We aren't desperate for God like David was staring down Goliath or the man with the gravely sick child was or the man who had a dead child or Jonah who was in the belly of a great fish and in the spin cycle as the fish went lower and lower and lower into the sea's depths. Seems to me like some of us don't have adequate desperation for God. Joe Briscoe is a name that some of you would know. Uh, Joe Briscoe was on a missions trip to Asia in a closed country to the gospel, a country that you could uh, be killed by the government if you were found to be a Christian. And the translator who took Jill to the ministry of a women's group that was hiding out in a house, Jill came in with the interpreter, was introduced by the interpreter, and someone in the group said something in Chinese. What she said, it turned out later, was birthday cake. And what that meant was, that day, that if the authorities burst into the room and they heard them coming, they would pull a birthday cake out of the closet, put it on the table, hide their Bibles, and say they were having a birthday party and not a Bible study. It's in that context that Jill Briscoe was introduced through the interpreter to the ladies in the group. And the lead lady in the group turned to the interpreter and said something in Chinese, and the interpreter said, she wants you to pray so they can know if you are truly one who knows God. They wanted to vet out imposters, informants. And the way they knew someone was legit as a follower of Jesus was how they prayed. How does your prayer portray you? How does my prayer portray me? Prayer is revealing. To God, prayer is heavy. Very heavy. And it needs to be heavy again in our church. Monday night prayer meetings were started about three months ago, if my memory serves. And the attendance started pretty strong. Could have been better, but it was pretty strong. But steadily over the three months on Monday nights, that attendance has gone down, gradually down, down, down. Because we're not desperate enough for God. We think we can get by without him, frankly. We have a chance to make heavy again what God says is heavy. Monday night, tomorrow night, we're resuming prayer meetings, and we hope that you'll be there. Tomorrow night, we can begin to reverse and make prayer heavy again. Another way that it appears that we can make light of what God says is heavy is being of a mind that we are somehow incapable of certain sins. Oh, I'd never do that. Look what he fell into. I'd never do that. I've been a Christian long enough and a pastor long enough 
to pay attention to pastors who fall into sin and disqualification from the ministry. Do you know what I've noticed? In many, many, many cases, high percentage of these preachers who fall and disqualify themselves fall into the very sins that they had as hobby horse sins to preach against. Adultery, embezzlement, gambling, etc. We are in danger, church family, if any of us thinks that's a sin I would never do. I'm good, I won't do that. I think that we can make light of what God deems as heavy as when we tell jokes that make light of sin and jokes that make light of hell. Entertainment. If you were a sociologist that studied society in the West you would have to notice that the size of the screens on our devices is shrinking. But there was a time when the only device that had a screen was a television, and the television screen was certain size. And then the TV screen size shrunk when we got personal computers. And then the screen size of the personal computer was reduced to the screen size of the laptop. And then the laptop screen was reduced to the tablet, and the tablet screen is now reduced to the smartphone. You say, what's the point? The point is that our danger, our risk of falling into compromise of morality is going up while the screen sizes are going down. We got to be alert. Uh, our dog is black. Our uh, standard poodle, Yankee, uh, delightful dog, 70 pound dog, not a small poodle. Uh, last night, I put him out in our fenced backyard to do his business before going to sleep for the night. And, and I slide, I, he's out in the dark. I can't see him because he's black in this night. And so I'm looking for him. I'm calling him. I'm calling him to find him. I'm calling him, Yankee, Yankee, where are you, Yankee? And I look around and he's behind me. <laughs> I don't know how he got behind me. But at some point, he snuck behind me. He's in the house looking at me like, you're a foolish master, man. That's how sin and temptation can be. That it's behind us before we know it. It was a Puritan, John Owen, who said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Ways that we can make light what God says is heavy. Playing with fires. Fires of bad company. Or ungodly music. Or alcohol. Every alcohol started in moderation. Every alcoholic started in moderation. Or gambling, just across the street. I'll tell you something. When, pe- when we try to tell people where this building is, you can say, across from the old Wilmack Pharmacy, and 10% know what you're talking about. But if you say, across from Island Luck, 100% know where we are. Gambling is a scourge on this country. Making light of what God says is heavy. Having overly close relationships with persons of the opposite sex who are not our husband or our wife. Playing with fire. 
And you know, there's a new thing going on in the evangelical church. It's not really new, but the last 10 years I've really noticed it. That's when one Christian goes to another Christian with genuine loving concern about sin and the other Christian's life. And the person says, you're being a legalist. You're being a legalist. As if that's sort of like, oh, then I can't possibly speak to you anymore about that. You're being a legalist. Which is mumbo-jumbo, double-talk, to mind your own business and leave me in my sin. Coming back to evangelism, hit it more than once. When we refuse to share our faith, we go about our business like either there is no hell or everybody gets to heaven. One of the things that Satan would love for me to assume is that what with 3,000 local churches in Nassau, that everybody has a church. That's not true. I challenge you to ask three persons this week that you don't know that well, do you have a church? And see what they say. You'll be surprised. Could it be that Pergamum's problem of making light what God says is heavy is our problem in some measure? Solution, you've heard it before, the way forward, the way forward The way forward is for me to live is Christ. Now, you said, Pastor Rob, I mean, I came to church. I just wanted to be out by 1230, and and I had no idea this was coming. Really took me by surprise. Yeah? Yeah? So what are we going to do with it? I mean... The things that we've shared are serious things. They're things that need God to fix as we cooperate with him. But I'll tell you one thing not to do this week is to just go about your amusements like you didn't hear anything this hour. You do know that an amusement, the prefix A means no or without, and amusement means thinking or pondering. So when we run to our amusements, we are not thinking. We are not pondering. Don't run to your amusements this week, and I won't either. We have to think about these things. We have to pray about these things. We have to be willing to change. And so the bottom line, you've heard it more than once, a six-word way forward for us is for me to live is Christ. Now, the danger of hearing a message like this Well, one danger is keep looking at your watch to see when it's going to be over. But the other danger is to have that satellite dish on that I talked about in the prayer to begin the message. You know, you have it on your head, and this truth is coming to you from the Word of God, and it's directed, it's a little painful, a little awkward, and you just say, I'll bounce that to Harry. Harry needs that. I'll bounce that to Daphne. (laughs) She needs that. No, 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 no. Take the satellite off your head and say, that's truth for me. For me. For me. And the only way that our church as a whole will be who Christ created us to be is if each part of the whole, each one of us, is who Christ made us to be in salvation. Now, some of us might be here this morning, I don't know, that are rejecting this whole idea of little old them dramatically affecting the health and the witness of this whole church. And the way that they might be thinking that is to say something like this, yeah, but I'm young. I'm a child. 
yeah, but I'm old. Yeah, but I'm not a member. <laughs> yeah, but I'm an attendee only twice a month. Yeah, but I'm quiet. That's my personality. I'm just quiet. I'm, 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 I'm. Should be Christ, 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 Christ. Or maybe some of us could be sitting here uh, saying, I'm going to minimize the difference, positive or negative, which my choices make for this church. I mean, no one knows me, the thought is. No one notices me, the thought is. No one is influenced by me, so goes the thought. I blend in, and I like it that way. If you believe in any degree that your choices don't have an impact on the overall church, I think you may have forgotten the difference that one small pebble makes in your shoe. Or the fact that the cockroaches that bother you started with a mummy and a daddy cockroach. Or you've forgotten what it's like to step on a Lego piece in the dark. Man, that's, that's pain. It's not in the tub, it's on the carpet, it's dark, you step on it and it hurts. Or maybe you've forgotten when you think that really you and the choices you make and the lifestyle you have can't really affect the overall group. Maybe you've forgotten on the positive side the less than 10 word statement that was said to you that shaped your life for the better when you were a child. (laughs) I can remember a person in the Baptist church that we were part of. He bent over. I don't know how old I was. I was not very old. And he said, maybe... God will call you to be a pastor one day. You matter. How you live matters. What you say matters. How you involve yourself in the church matters. It only happened to me once. But in the first church I pastored 30 years ago, I went to do a funeral. And I went to do the funeral, and there was someone on the parking lot from the funeral home who told me where to park. So I parked my car. He says, may I have the keys? And I thought, that's a little odd, but I gave him my keys. And I went inside the funeral home chapel, and I conducted the funeral. And as I came out to my car, it was spotless. They'd washed it. They'd vacuumed it. (laughs) They'd detailed it. I love that. And the kid who did all that wasn't old enough to shave. He was a part-time employee. (laughs) He probably thought, whoever notices what I do, man. I did. 30 years later, I've never forgotten. No funeral home has ever done that for me since. (laughs) What you do, what you say, how you're involved will be very dramatic in its influence for positivity or negativity whether you know it or not. (laughs) For me to live is Christ. That's the solution. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please forgive us as a church for ways in which we have left our first love of you. Forgive us too, please, for making light of what you say is heavy. 
please do heart and brain surgery on all of us. For we don't need cosmetic surgery. That's insufficient. What we need, Lord, is to be about being good, not just looking good. We need our hearts and our brains to be realigned. We need revival. Change us one by one. Help us to put you first. To revere the weight that you put upon things. Our first love, Lord Jesus, beautify this assembly to be your radiant bride. Fortify this assembly to be your robust body. Humble this assembly to be your protected flock. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.